Well, let's head back to Lamentations chapter 3, where we find ourselves this morning, rocking away verse by verse through the book of Lamentations. Um, we uh, we uh, didn't arrive at our destination on time last week, so I want to circle back, uh, really focus on that last section of our notes. But uh, for those of you that may not have been here, I want to review kind of where we've been, and then uh, we'll come back. Um, first of all, we're thinking about Lamentations. Uh, Lamentations is a book written in the wake of the Babylonian uh, infiltration and destruction of the nation of uh, Judah, and particularly the capital city of Jerusalem, uh, starting uh, in the uh, around 601 BC. There was a effort on the part of the Babylonians to infiltrate Jerusalem, and over the next uh, Several years, uh, Babylon brought different campaigns, finally breaching the wall and taking over the city around 586 B.C. Uh, That was prophesied by God through many prophets, including the prophet Jeremiah, whose ministry was to warn the nation of Judah that if they did not repent of their idolatry and their disobedience to God, that the Lord would bring an enemy people as his disciplinary agent to... um, uh, to punish and, and really ultimately to restore and bring to repentance the nation of Judah. So that has happened. Uh, Mr. Jeremiah has ministered for 40 years to a people that has re- have rejected his message. And now uh, he is witnessing the attack and destruction of his people and his beloved city. And especially the, the pinnacle of that city, the center point of the nation of, or the city of Jerusalem, and that is the temple itself. And uh, the book of Lamentations that you have before you is a series of poems designed to be a funeral for the nation of Jerusalem. And that's part of why we're talking about Lamentations. And we have to learn what Lamentations is because in our culture, we don't, when something bad happens, we don't typically write poetry and sing about it. Now, if you're listening closely to your favorite Spotify channel, you will notice that one of the things that people do sing about a lot, even in our modern music, uh, are things like grief and loss and pain and difficulty. And in this ancient Near Eastern culture, one of the ways that this particular time and season of people did sorrow was they would write poetry and songs reflecting on the loss uh, that was the source of their grief. So that's what Lamentations is. It is a divinely inspired funeral song for the city of Jerusalem in the wake of the Babylonian captivity. Uh, And Mr. Jeremiah, we believe, has written this in part uh, to demonstrate his, uh, not just his personal grief, but the corporate grief of the nation of Judah. We looked at the first couple chapters. It's interesting um, even reading some of the descriptions here and then watching the news this week of what's coming out of Gaza and uh, some of the descriptions are actually very similar. It's, it's eerie even. Um, but uh, we, we've come to the point in chapter 3 now, uh, verse 1, where Jeremiah has turned. He's been talking about the grief of the people the destruction of the city, the, the horror of the violence done as you know, children are starving, uh, women are resort, resorting to cannibalism because there's no food, 
Uh, young men and women and even children are being carried off to Babylon, torn away from their families. And uh, Jeremiah turns in chapter 3, verse 1, and he wants to talk with us about he personally has been struggling with what he's seeing and what he's experiencing. Now, you'll notice, uh, and just kind of what breaks the repetition here, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1, and then later on in chapter 4, verse 1, each one of those sections of the poetry start with the word how, right? How can this be? How can this happen? I don't understand. And uh, what breaks the repetition of that as we come to chapter 3 is the word what? I. I am the man. And that puts the focus from what's going on and, and the nation, how the people are responding, to how Jeremiah personally is seeing and experiencing and responding to what's going on in front of him. Jeremiah's lament is largely about the nation, uh, but he's personally lived through the horrible times, so he turns and talks about this. By the way, this is um, some, something of a review. Uh, what you're going to see now is in your notes, but most of it's filled in for you since we talked about this last time. What's interesting is in the first 18 chapters, which we went over last time, Jeremiah has seemed to have lost focus. Uh, this whole time, in if we go back and read his book, his prophetic book called the book of Jeremiah, we see a man focused on the things of God. We see a man dedicated to bring the message to the people. <clears throat> he has been faithful for month after month, year after year, even decade after decade to bring God's people the message of God, even though it was rejected and uh, not heeded. Uh, and yet... Um, Something changes as we see in this chapter. We see something of the humanity of Jeremiah. We see that he was not, uh, he was not the Iron Man of the prophets. Uh, this was not a superhero, spiritually speaking. This was a normal man like you and me, who, though he was very faithful and, and very dedicated to his message, nonetheless struggled, uh, at least at times, with trying to interpret what was going on before him. I want to talk to you and just continue our talk on spiritual depression today, uh, reminding you that depression occurs many times as a result of how we are interpreting our circumstances. And what we see, if you want to look back with me at chapter 3, verse 1, is Jeremiah struggling to rightly interpret what's going on. Uh, just look with me, uh, we won't read the whole section, but just look at some of these. Chapter 3, verse 1, he says, I am the man who has seen affliction because of the rod of his wrath. He has driven me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely against me he has turned his hand repeatedly all the day. He's caused my flesh and my skin to waste away. He's broken my bones. He's besieged and encompassed me with bitterness and hardship. In dark places he has made me dwell like those who have long been dead. He's walled me in so that I can't go out. He's made my chain heavy. And even when I cry out and call for help, he shuts out my prayer. Down to verse 10. He's like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in secret places. He turned aside my ways and torn me to pieces. Verse 12. He's bent his bow and sent me as a target for the arrow. Down to verse 16, he's broken my teeth with gravel, he's made me cower in the dust. My soul has been rejected from peace, and I have forgotten happiness. So I say, my strength has perished, 
and so has my hope from the Lord. And we say, is this, is this even the same guy? And yet, you know, Jeremiah is illustrating something of what we call normal Christianity. We can be on a spiritual high of encouragement and grace. You went to that conference, you read that book, you had that conversation with somebody, and you're so encouraged in your walk with God. You're built up. You and Jesus, right? I mean, you're just going on. And then something happens the next day, and you find yourself clinging to your faith. It's like, what happened? And uh, that is something of the normal experience of believers for all of history. Um, it's a walk of faith, and there are highs and there are lows. There are times that we're encouraged. There are times that we're discouraged. There are times that we see truth clearly and revel in it, and there are times we're, we're, we're hanging on for all we can, going, Lord, I can't see it. Help me to see it. And what's going on here is Jeremiah has lost a bit of focus. Um, how is he interpreting his circumstances? What do you see? That was your cue. Yes, Hans. Yeah, it's almost like he's blaming God, isn't it? He's saying, Lord, you're doing this, which which is true in one regard, right? But he's saying, you're doing this to harm me personally. You're out to get me. You're out to hurt me. You're walling out my prayer. You're, you're, you're trapping me in. You're attacking me like a bear or a lion or an archer and right so, so and and guys be, be careful it we can use our theology against ourselves have you noticed this we we can say i know god is sovereign i know god is in control and that ought to be a comfort to say that this looks like chaos but it's not god's got it and i can trust him but sometimes we can twist that doctrine and say, God's in control, God's done this, you're responsible, and we begin to accuse him. And we see that right here with Jeremiah, we see it with Jonah, we see it with the psalmist, we see it with Job, we, right? So, so be careful to not use your theology against God and against yourselves, if that makes sense. The doctrine, for example, of God's sovereign control is supposed to be a comfort and an encouragement, not an occasion to blame and accuse God of things that we disagree with. And that's part of what's going on here. I mentioned this last time. Paul Tripp, I think in Instruments of the Redeemer's Hands, uh, says this, that we don't live out of what happens in life. We live out of how we interpret what happens in life. So how you interpret what's going on in your life is a huge, significant influence on how you will respond and how you live. And that's why this is so important. Jeremiah is illustrating for us, and, and you know he wrote the book, it's in the Bible, so you think, okay, here it is for all to see, that how we interpret God, especially in difficult times, is crucial. Spiritual depression results when we misinterpret what God is doing in the midst of a hard circumstance. 
And that's what we see, right? It is true that God has brought the Babylonians in. It is true that God is punishing his people. And it is true that Jeremiah is a part of that group, even though, you know, in a sense, he, he's innocent from many of the things that the people were guilty of doing. But that's, Jeremiah goes a step further and says, but this is God personally attacking me and personally going after me, which of course was not the case. But notice how this works. The longer he misinterprets God, the further he spirals down in the darkness of depression. Did you notice that? And watch where this goes. Look back back down at verse 17, the conclusion, my soul has been rejected from peace. I have forgotten happiness. So I say my strength has perished and so has my hope from the Lord. If you, if you want a definition of spiritual depression, I mean, I mean, there, there, there's our biblical definition. It's loss of hope in God. Spiritual depression is a loss of hope in God. Uh, on your notes there, <clears throat> we know that this was not something that is rare in the Bible. Many people struggled with a loss of hope, a spiritual depression in the Bible. Jeremiah, we see here. Elijah, we talked about him last time, 1 Kings 19. Jonah, we talked briefly about him. There are seasons when we see it in the psalmists. We see it in other prophets. Well, we see it on occasion with the apostles. We think of Jesus in John 14. Do not let your heart be troubled, right? Believe in God, believe also in me. And we, we just see that, that, that discouragement, that despair exemplified by the apostles. We read church history. There are many men and women who walked with God, faithful believers who struggled with seasons of spiritual depression. But spiritual depression always traces it back to a loss of hope in God in some way. Um, We talked about those, some other passages you can look up on your own time. So the, the definition that I gave you to consider last time is an overwhelming sorrow or debilitating state of sadness, pain, or hopelessness that usually leads to others other struggles and challenges and and what what i'm saying here we we could tack on to that as a cause or a a main influence there is that i've lost hope in god in some way um i said this last week i want to say it again be very careful about allowing your fallen emotions to interpret the character of an activity of God in a difficult time. Your fallen feelings, my fallen feelings, will illustrate God in ways that are atrocious and horrible. And that's what's happening here. Jeremiah is letting the grief and the sorrow and the pain and the reality of what he's watching as the city of Jerusalem burns, he's letting those emotions retool and reshape how he's viewing God and what God is doing. And and you've done this like I have, haven't you? You're going through a hard time, and instead of letting the Bible remind you, this is God and this is what he's doing, you begin to rethink of God in the wake of your fallen emotions. You let your feelings draw a portrait of God that is blasphemous and unhelpful and ungodly. And don't forget, guys, our well-being as a believer depends on rightly affirming who God is and what He does. 
In other words, we're not going to be spiritually healthy without viewing God for who He really is and what He's doing. Right? So if we start getting God wrong and interpreting what He's doing wrong, that affects our spiritual well-being. In fact, turn that around. Whenever you feel like you're struggling spiritually, ask yourself this question. Am I interpreting the character of God correctly? Am I viewing His activity with biblical wisdom. And chances are, if you're struggling spiritually, you'll find in one of those two categories, I'm misinterpreting God or I'm misinterpreting what He's doing. Because uh, those are the two channels that really lead to our spiritual health. Okay? So how should we understand spiritual depression? This is where we kind of had to uh, leave off last time. And the, these passages, guys, are so important. I, I want to just slow down a little bit and walk you through this um, because I think even though we don't like to talk about discouragement and despair and hopelessness and depression, this is something that all of us will go through to one degree or another, some of us more significant and more frequent. And, uh, and you need to know how to think about this, this thing that will happen to you called, I'm losing my hope in God. What's going on? Okay. So let me just give you a couple of points on this. Um, uh, let, let's turn in our Bibles. We didn't look at this last time. If you're in Lamentations, just back up into the Old Testament to the book of Job. The first thing I, I want you to see is that depression is often occasioned by loss. Depression is often occasioned by loss. When you lose something that is significant to you, you are vulnerable to spiritual depression. Okay? Now, loss is not always the occasion, but it is often the occasion. And what's interesting, um, I, I keep a file of all sorts of psychological research and, and observations and, and whatnot, and um, research continues to affirm that of people diagnosed with a major depressive disorder, which is the main uh, psychological diagnosis for clinical depression, research continues to affirm that for people that receive that psychological diagnosis, about 80 to 90% of them have experienced loss. Which tells us depression, whether we're talking about clinical or biblical, and we'll talk about the difference here in a minute, is predictable. Depression is not something that just happens to you, like you get a cold, like you get the flu, like you, right? It's not something that just happens to you. Often the things that we think of that are psychological disorders, even though they sound like they have a medical uh, causation behind them, are actually responses that human beings have to certain realities of life, often very hard realities of life. And when it comes to depression, depression is often occasioned by a loss of some sort. Look with me at Job chapter 3. Uh, you remember the story of Job, this righteous man. And in one afternoon, he loses all ten of his children. He loses his livelihood that would have been the equivalent to his retirement savings. He lost servants and animals and crops what would have been his abilities to sustain himself. And, uh, and if that wasn't enough, 
he acquired a disease, a skin disorder of some sort that was so painful that uh, the only relief he could find from the boils and sores that covered his body from head to toe was to take pieces of broken pottery and scrape the boils till they bled in order to bring relief. In that culture, when you saw somebody afflicted greatly like that, you assumed that the gods were angry and punishing. So Job was banished outside of the city. By the time we find him in chapter 3, he's at the local trash heap outside of the city walls. Uh, His wife, who has stood with him, who has lost those ten kids with him, who has grieved with him and mourned with him, and is in dire straits with him, now sees her husband likely about to die. And she can't take it anymore. So she says to her dear husband, just curse God and get this over with. I can't watch this anymore. And in the wake of the loss of Job's status, his health, his children, the trust and friendship of his wife, his crops, his servants, he cries out in chapter 3 verse 1, he curses the day of his birth, the narrator tells us, and he says, let the day perish on which I was to be born, and night which said a boy is conceived, may that day be darkness. And the rest of the chapter is Job cursing, questioning, wondering if my life was to be this painful, why did God not kill me at birth? I don't understand. And we can read the rest of the chapter on into the book and recognize that Job experienced what we would call today is depression. But it was related to loss, wasn't it? It was related to the loss of his ten kids and his health and his livelihood, his, his, the trust and friendship of his wife, his crops, his servants, his ability to sustain himself, his reputation in the community. Even being a part of the community was something he lost. So depression is often occasioned by loss of some sort. We see that in Lamentations. We see it in Job. Well, what do you see, by the way? As, as maybe you've experienced depression or you've walked with somebody that is, what are some other things that people lose that are the occasion of depression? Anything that you've noticed? Yes. Dreams? Yeah. Lost dreams, lost hopes. Gene? Yeah. Loss of hope? That's right. You lose your way. Well, it's like, what am I doing? I don't even know what I'm doing here. I don't know where I'm going. And. You know, you have some crisis, right? And all of a sudden, the financial rug gets pulled out from under you. All of a sudden, you're in a broken marriage and your spouse has left. All of a sudden, you've lost a child. All the, and you're like, what do I do? Um, so recognize that spiritual depression is often occasioned by loss. When you and I experience loss of any and every variety, we need to be careful. Because depression is a temptation that we can fall into. Okay. Secondly, depression can result when we respond certain ways to life challenges. Depression can result when we respond certain ways to life challenges. We, we 
we talked about this last time, but I want you to turn back to Genesis chapter 4 and see this crucial text before us. This is something that our secular understanding, that, that, that would disagree with our secular understanding of depression. Uh, the, the main scale sort of cultural understanding of depression is that depression is primarily a medical problem that just happens to people sometimes and through medication, through certain forms of therapy and other interventions, uh, you learn to cope with that depression and um, that's kind of how it's viewed. What we're learning in the Bible is that the Bible has a bit of a different take on it. Depression is occasioned by loss. Depression is developed by how we interpret certain circumstances. And based on how we're interpreting those circumstances, we respond in different ways. See, if you've ever gone through depression, it doesn't feel like something you choose to do. It feels like something that happens to you, right? Nod your head. But you know what? Fear feels like that too. Anger feels like that too. Worry feels like that too. Anxiety feels like that too. Um, joy feels like that too. I mean, you don't get up in the morning and say, I'm going to be particularly joyful today, and boom, you're just in the mood, right? That's not how it works. Emotions of all varieties, both pleasant and unpleasant, both godly and ungodly, often feel like things that happen to us. But what the Bible says is, under the hood, in our hearts... Emotions are actually occasioned by how we're interpreting and how we're responding to life. Now those responses can be very, very, very quick. So quick that you don't realize you're actually responding to it. But you are. And as human beings that are created with habit capacities, sometimes we learn responses so well that we're responding without a lot of conscious processing and input. But don't, 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 be mis, don't misunderstand here. Emotions are always a response to life. They're not things that just happen to us, according to Scripture. Okay? Now, I want you to see that that's... Don't, don't take my word for it. I want to demonstrate the truth of what I've just said by showing you this text, you ready for this? Where God is the biblical counselor. Okay? Hard, hard, hard to do better than that. So you guys know the story. Uh, Genesis chapter 4. Uh, both Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's kids, bring sacrifices to God. Chapter 4, verse 3. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel on his part brought the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard, or the Lord accepted, we might say, Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Now, now don't do what most people do. Don't make this story about why God accepted Abel's sacrifice and didn't accept Cain's sacrifice. The answer is, the text doesn't tell us why. So let's not get too distracted by conjecturing as to why. There may be some plausible explanations, but that's not what the story is about. Okay? 
What we're supposed to see is that God accepted Abel's. He rejected Cain's. Now, watch this. Verse 5. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Uh, I mentioned this last time. One of the many ways the Bible describes depression is with that little phrase, a fallen countenance. That's how Jewish people describe depression, a fallen countenance. And we get that, right? When you're depressed or I'm depressed, when we see somebody who's depressed, you can see it. You can see it. You see it in their eyes. You see it in their posture. You see it in their face. You see it in their body language. That's what the Jews are picking up on here. They're saying it's a fallen countenance. You, You don't look very good, very happy, very very normal. Now look at the next verse. Verse 6, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? Now, now, now look up for a second. What does that tell us? What's that tell us? Okay, it, it's internal to him. He should be able to identify the cause. Yeah. He's saying, why are you angry? Like, you tell me. Now, no, God's omniscient, right? He's not, right? God already knows. But like you do with your children, he's engaging him to draw the child out, right? So God's saying, hey, why are you angry? Why is your countenance full? Why are you depressed? Which means God expects Cain to know exactly why he's angry and why his countenance has fallen. And I'd say, that is great news. That's great news. Though emotions are sometimes mysterious, they are not random. They are not haphazard. Uh, They are not chaotic. You ready for this? Your emotions are predictable. Your emotions are predictable. You say, well, but I don't understand them all the time. Well, with, with hopefully with biblical sanctification and education, we can all understand them. And that's why this passage is so important. Now, what would you say occasioned Cain's anger and Cain's depression, according to this verse? It could be, it could be jealousy, right? You know, my brother was accepted, mine wasn't. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, maybe. So. Yeah, that's right. Maybe an expectation that wasn't met. He was expecting God to accept him, Hans. Yeah, yeah. If we go back to Hebrews, we can talk about you know Abel's was by faith. Maybe his was not a faith. Yeah, don't overthink this, guys. God didn't accept his sacrifice. How would you feel? I know how I would feel. He didn't get what he wanted. And, and we don't and what he wanted was good. There was nothing wrong with what he wanted. But he didn't get what he wanted. And, and that parallels what James tells us in James four that, that anger is what happens when we don't get our way. When we want something too much. What about the depression? I'm sad because my God 
rejected what I brought to him. Could have been provoked by jealousy, could have been provoked by whatnot. But that depression was occasioned by the rejection of God. The loss of fellowship, the loss of acceptability before God. You see that? It's very predictable. Now look at the next verse. He says, God says to him, if you do well, if you do what is right, will not your countenance be lifted up? Guys, this is so important. Here's what God says. Your depression happened because of how you responded to this situation. If you will respond differently, your depression will improve. You see that? It's not a disease. It's not a medical thing. It is something that happens based on what's going on in your heart in terms of how you're responding and how you are interpreting the life. You say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Aren't there there medical factors that sometimes contribute to depressed feelings? Sure there are. We'll talk about those in a minute. But depression at its its core is not primarily a medical issue. It's a spiritual heart response issue. And it's based on how you and I interpret things and how we respond to life. And and I want you to see that that, that that is one of the most hopeful realities in the world, which means if, if you're struggling with an unpleasant emotion, whether it's depression or something else, you're not stuck there. God is saying to Cain, things can be different. If you'll heed my counsel, if you'll respond differently, and sadly we know instead of responding with repentance, which is what Cain should have done, he further resolved um, in his anger, in his depression, to a further godly response, and he thought the, re- the, the best thing to do was to go kill his brother, and that would solve the problem. Okay, so depression can result when we respond in certain ways to life circumstances. Third, depression is fueled by how we interpret circumstances. And this is where, you know, we don't know for sure what's going on here. We can definitely see it in Lamentations, right? That Jeremiah is misinterpreting the character and intent of God. He is personalizing something. Isn't that interesting? Don't do this. Don't use your circumstances to personalize something that God is doing to you. Don't do that. Don't say, oh, this bad thing happened to me. God must be punishing me. Oh, this calamity happened here. God must be unhappy with me. That's what we do. And that's what Jeremiah is doing. He's looking at the disciplinary action of God that he spent 40 years predicting. And it's like he loses sight of that. And he says, no, no, this is God attacking me personally. But see, that's a misinterpretation, isn't it? So be careful how you're interpreting things, and especially how you're interpreting God's intent towards you. Job does the same thing. Job looks at the things happening, he goes, God must be you know, out to get me, and his three friends didn't help. Because C- uh, uh, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar come, the, the three buddies, and they reinforce the interpretation that God is personally punishing Job for something, and if he would just repent, God would restore his fortune. So be careful to not personalize what God is doing to you in the wake of a difficulty or a trial. Let the Bible lead you 
to understand those things and to find proper interpretations and responses and all that. But be careful how you do that. I, I don't know that I've ever counseled a depressed person who was rightly interpreting the circumstances of life. It's always in play. And I find when I'm discouraged, or it's not just depression, I mean other emotions as well, market, you're probably interpreting something incorrectly about God and His ways. So be careful how you interpret your circumstances. Fourthly, depression is encouraged when we let feelings and misguided thoughts direct our heart and behavior. Uh, let's look uh, just briefly at, at Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. We read these last time. <clears throat> you know, it's one thing to let our fallen emotions and feelings interpret the character of God and, and we get a wrong interpretation, we get a wrong take on our feeling. But you know what the next step of that is? We let our feelings govern how, how we respond. We let our feelings govern what we do about it. And, um, you know, when you feel depressed, the problem is you don't feel like doing much of anything. In fact, the things that you feel like doing the most, withdrawing, sleeping, being by yourself, not being around people, not keeping up with other duties, all of those things increase your depression and keep you from the solutions God has. I mean, think about that. When you're depressed, you don't feel like talking to God or being around people. And yet God and His people are two of the most wonderful provisions He has for us in the wake of depression. So we, we can't let our feelings govern what we do or how we respond or how we act. That's what the psalmist is wrestling with his own heart about this. Look at, uh, look at the very end of Psalm 42. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why are you, why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him. We, we see this tug of war in his heart, right? On, on this side, he's got his feelings and his emotions and his fallen circumstances. And that, that's just pulling on the rope to saying, be discouraged. You know, it's hopeless. It's, there's no hope for me. You know, nothing. And then on the other side, it's like hope in God. He, he's great. He's working. We can trust him. And there's this tug of war. So be careful. Don't let your feelings and misguided thoughts direct your heart and behavior. Don't let your feelings override the character of God and the word of God in the tug of war that happens in your heart. And what I'm suggesting is going to God even though you don't feel like going to Him, being around God's people even though you don't feel like being around God's people are part of how you win the tug of war. You're an easy target if you're trying to pull on that rope all by yourself. Um, so go to God, even though you don't feel like it. Surround yourself with God's people. If you're depressed, one of, one of the most wonderful and blessed provisions is not just people around you that say, you know, good job, it's going to be okay, but people around you who will speak the Word of God to you in compassion and encouragement. Guys, in depression, like in a lot of trials, we need the ministry of reminding one another things we already know. 
Don't feel like, well, my friend doesn't need to hear this because I know she already knows it. There is a ministry of reminding struggling believers of things they already know. And sometimes they'll believe and act on it, not because they're convinced of it, but because you are. And you can walk with them until their faith is strengthened. Depression may creep in when we lose sight of faith and hope in God. That's what he's saying here. Hope in God, right? Hope in God. There is hope in Him. There is uh, encouragement in Him. Um, we saw that back in Lamentations, right? He says, he says uh, my strength is perished and so has my hope from the Lord. That's the result of the fact that he's interpreting God the wrong way. So we need to be careful not to lose sight of hope in God and that follows how we're interpreting Him and what He's doing. And again, this, this goes back to when you're depressed, you probably don't feel like reading your Bible. You probably don't re- feel like rehearsing verses that you memorized. You probably don't feel like going to church or going to a class, or right? But you need the Word of God to remind you that there's hope in Him. So surround yourself with that. Feeling down or sad may be influenced by physical factors. We saw that in 1 Kings 19 last time. Remember, uh, Elijah runs away. He hasn't eaten. He hasn't slept. Uh, he, he's, he's exhausted physically. And he gets to the cave. And what happens? He needs nourishment, doesn't he? He needs sustenance. He needs rest. Now, that is not the cause of his depression, And the physical provision is not the solution to depression. But physical factors are a reality. It it, it may be uh, simple things like diet and exercise and sleep and and, uh, whatnot. It it may be, you know, things going on in your hormones. It may be a disease that you have like Parkinson's disease or hypothyroidism that influences how we feel. And people with those diseases sometimes feel down more. But but don't miss the point that even though those physical factors are real, it's the response of the heart. It's the direction of our hope. It's what we're clinging to and looking to when we feel sad and down. Those are the key factors as to whether or not we will land in full-blown depression or whether, as we see in the psalmist, we will find hope in God. And finally, we looked at this last time, and I just want to punctuate this section by saying it again. Jesus came to bear our sorrows and griefs. Isaiah says, surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. As we turn to him for help, we want to let his word influence our hearts and behavior, and that leads us out of depression into hope, peace, and rest. We, we believe that the Word of God, as it reveals the Son of God, is sufficient to bring us hope and peace and even a quiet joy in the midst of circumstances that sometimes occasion depression. So depression is not something you're stuck with. It's not something that just happens to you. It's something that with Christ's grace and help we can work through and toward a better place of resting and trusting in Him. So so if you're dealing with that, or if you're walking alongside somebody who is, uh, there is great hope for this challenge that we face.
And we know the Lord Jesus, um, as Peter reminds us, to cast all our cares on Him, right? Because He cares for us. Father, thanks for these reminders. And I pray as we wrestle with depression in our own lives or we walk alongside or know somebody who does, uh, we thank You that we have the provisions of Christ, that the Bible doesn't leave us at the mercy of our emotions and and things that just happen to us. Uh, Lord, that Your Word gives us insight as to why things happen the way they do, where depression comes from, and, and mostly it tells us how the Lord Jesus and the provisions of grace that He has can lead us out. So, Lord, I pray that we would draw near to You in our day of discouragement, that we would be careful how we interpret, and that we would find that our Savior gladly bears our burdens as we cast them on Him. We're grateful for His provision, and we pray in His name. Amen.